everybody. Welcome in to another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall. And Bronco, we got uh, another special guest on this week uh, with the head coach of the Wyoming Cowboys, Craig Bull. Craig, thank you so much for taking some time out and uh, stopping by. You know what, Brian? Excited about being on and, and engaging with uh, a dear friend and colleague, Bronco. I know he's uh, doing some things he really <laughs> enjoys, but Bronco, I can tell you this too: we miss you in college football. Mm-hmm. That that is a sentiment that is is echoed by by a lot of folks. And you know, it's interesting. We're, we're, we're taping this episode uh, a little bit before you head off to, to Mountain West Media Days. It, it, it's July. It, it kind of feels like college football. It, it's that time of the year uh, uh, again. And Craig, I, I'm kind of go, curious going back to kind of those early days when you first took over at North Dakota State. You're actually D two uh, back in the day. Like, but what was July bat like back then? And, and how's July like for you now? Well, it's significantly different uh, in some positive ways in some ways maybe not so positive but during that time I had never been a head coach before and and Bronco will tell you all of a sudden when you get that job there's not like a manual that's in the book saying you need to do xyz but I was fortunate that you know I had uh, worked for Tom Osborne at Nebraska uh, who was a remarkable mentor for me and then uh, I had actually been at NDSU uh, as an assistant coach for Don Morton many years ago so when I first came back you know, our players, uh, you know, most of them were at home during the course of the summer. Uh, summer school was not an option. Their training was certainly different. They had jobs. And so then when they came back to fall camp, you know, integrating that team back as far as getting them up and actually working on some conditioning because you needed to get your players back into condition. And we didn't have maybe some of the benefits of science uh, to really help us make decisions. Um, but it was a really uh, insightful time for me to develop and become a head coach. And we had transitioned uh, from uh, Division Two, and we were transitioning to FCS, uh, 1AA at the time. And so that was a, it was an enlightening time for me. Uh, it was 11 great years uh, up in Fargo and getting to know the lay of the land in the upper Midwest. And I still have a lot of dear friends in Paul Hart for the Bison. When you, uh, man, 11 years, which is is so fun to think about. So I, I was 11 years as a coach at BYU as well as the head coach. Mm-hmm. And then uh, six at the University of Virginia and and your consistency at Wyoming as well. So that that's fairly uncommon now where a head coach can stay basically mm-hmm. as long as he wants. And what a benefit to the young people, right, mm-hmm. to have that consistency. But I, I was I was listening to you talk about becoming a head coach and what that was like. And wow, do I remember as you reflect what what changes within yourself to the version of of Coach Bowl that I'm talking to today after all the experiences so far to that first initial version of the head coach, Coach Bowl. What what have you seen or what have you felt within yourself um, in terms of the changes? Well, I think more than anything else is just recognizing uh the importance of leadership and influence when you become a head coach your your sphere of influence becomes so much greater and i would equate it to this bronco if if you go out and i know you say you live on a lake and that it's a calm still morning and you would throw a small pebble in uh, and you see the ripple effects that's what you have main mainly as an assistant coach uh, if you take a much larger stone and throw it in your calm lake, you can see where those influence waves. Uh, and I don't know if that uh, resonates, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I saw the power of influence and how impactful your words were. And so I, I really learned uh, 
you know, there's a significant difference between a, a pat on the back and a kick in the butt and it's 18 inches and you better take close aim and really <laughs> understanding people uh, and, and what's important to them and being sensitive. All of that through a prism of your vision, uh, staying true to your convictions, because uh, while you need to gather information, you know, there's a principle in leadership is says if you can't see it, you can't seize it. You have this internal compass or vision on where the program needs to go. And I think just developing that uh, through the years gave me a real sense of confidence, not by any means of if I've arrived on making all the right decisions, but I think you can become much more artful as you go. You know, the, the artful nature of leadership is, is something that can be worked on and honed. I, I don't think there's ever a, uh, an end point to that. And what I learned along the way, it was not only what I said, but how I said it. Mm-hmm. And while the same message delivered with a different tone, those ripples that you talked about could, could be much larger or smaller much more beneficial or not. Um, I'm wondering if you've noticed besides maybe changes within yourself as you've, you, as you're mastering the art of, of leadership, if you've seen differences maybe in the, the, the young people generationally from when you started to now. Yeah, that's a, that's a million dollar question. I had the privilege to talk at our AFCA convention uh, about that. And mm. uh, the topic was uh, uh, young people have not changed, which uh, man, I got a ton of calls from different dear <laughs> friends. What do you mean? Um, I, I don't believe, I, I believe this Bronco, young people have not changed. They still want to be loved. They still want to be encouraged. They still want to be shown what they can become. What has changed is our times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they've had experiences when they were growing up where they counted and they trusted on people who failed them. Uh, they, they looked at a society that if you just look at what has all occurred, not only the COVID and, and uh, uh, the social justice movement and all the things that are throwing up the emergence of social media uh, and, and the Twitter world and, and things of that nature. So that uh, their times have changed. Mm-hmm. And so their ability to reach out and trust, they still I believe this is the, and Coach Osborne was great at it. He could reach inside a player and touch their heart and grab a hold of their soul. It's really hard to do, but young people still crave that. They have a deep desire to do that. And I think you could respond to that as well, Bronco, is when you know, uh, and this player knows that they, that you have their best interest at heart and you can help them, uh, they will be unbelievably resilient. Uh, now, when you ask them to do something, they're ne- they're ne- where I I grew up in the world of coach says, whatever the coach says, you just did. Uh, and you know what? If you were supposed to mow the lawn at five o'clock when your dad was going to get home, you better do it. Uh, now, I think uh, the players, uh, th- their sense is they want to understand the why uh, that needs to make sense to them. And so that's been a transitional process for me to really connect with our players. But uh, young people have not changed, but our times have. I, I, I love the answer. And there's a couple of, there's a word that you mentioned a number of times and even in relation to Coach Osborne, which I, I think is is maybe the pivotal word or the or the um, the foundational word. And that's trust. Mm-hmm. And when trust is established and I, we probably have all had relationships where trust was in place. And wow, is that a magical experience and partnership and union. And we've probably all had experiences and 
and either with colleagues or et cetera, where trust was marginalized and, and then what that relationship looks like. Right. And that's a whole different experience. And so, wow, in the world of college athletics uh, and really any competitive setting, uh, with all the years of, of experience and success that you had, have you found maybe a ways that, uh, besides just sincerity and caring, right, truly caring for the individual, have you found ways that facilitate the trust or building that in a way that you could pass on that have been helpful to you? Yeah, that's a real, it's an insightful question, Bronco. And uh, the best term I could say is uh, consistency. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, people that are on, on, on your coaching staff or your players, they want you to be authentic. Uh, and that's one of the things that has been a real reward for me coaching at Wyoming. People in the state of Wyoming, and you know our state very well, Bronco. I mean, if you say something in Cheyenne, somebody up in Cody's going to know about it. And and don't try to don't try to uh, mm-hmm. be a, a real slick salesman because they're going to see through that uh, real fast. And players, uh, they know more and they see more than what you ever can imagine. And so to be consistent, I think, is imperative that uh, maybe a player uh, or a staff member may not agree with you, but if they know where you stand, they, they can they can they can deal with that. Yeah. It's when every day is a, a you know a new day uh, for what type of personality you're bringing in or what kind of agenda. Uh, people have a hard time with that, and so I've really strived to try to be as um, you know as, as steady is is what in our profession it's a real challenge to do. And I'm sure there are some play, players or coaches that say, "Well, he's saying that he's he's sure." Doing <laughs> Uh, but but I think it's really important. Uh, and another dear friend of mine, one time who was in great leadership, talked about uh, how, how to how to proceed when you're a leader when you're in what he called low mood. I mean, we all have some more days that you know it's not a chamber of commerce day, and maybe some issues are coming up in our personal life, or we have other things that come up that that cloud your. Uh, ability to be consistent. And I think one of the things that has helped me through the years is to recognize, okay, you know what? I'm not, I don't have my A game going on today and and that's okay. Just recognize that you need to be really, really cautious now as far as when you start to proceed uh, either critiquing or coming up with some message that um, you've got to stay within those uh, margins to be consistent. And so, um, you know, that may mean sitting in your office for a couple minutes and grabbing a cup of coffee and distilling a little bit before you go into a staff room or, or a team meeting or going out to practice. Yeah, I, I love that. And a couple of things you said uh, just resonated. The, the acknowledgement that there's low mode or that you, you don't have your A game today. And I, I found it really helpful sometimes uh, if it was a staff meeting or even a team meeting and I would just say that, you know what? I don't have my A game today. I can feel it. I can sense it. That doesn't mean I'm less committed. Doesn't mean I'm not going to try as hard as I can for our program today. Right. But when I when I acknowledged and said that, um, you could almost see relief from mm-hmm. the players and the staff that, yeah, the expectations are very high. Um, but this is today <laughs> where, right. how I'm showing up. And that doesn't right. mean. I'm asking for an excuse and it doesn't mean I'm asking for quarter. It just means that it's going to be harder for me today. Right. And it's amazing. Once that was said, how the team then had a chance to uplift 
and reach out and kind of bully up the one that didn't have their A game. And and that was a chance for others to lead, which I, I found that, oh, man, at the right time, sometimes acknowledging a harder day was really helpful. Well, I think that that circles back to your comment about trust and being authentic. Um, uh, and and for uh, either the team or the coaching staff to recognize you and who you are and where your foundation is. And that that's not to be uh, philosophical, but that's reality. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, you'll have people that say, hey, fake it until you make it. You right. know, go in and uh, I mean, and, and so I, th- I think that there's a balance there uh, without yeah. question, because people people want to see the head coach walk in uh, to the final talk, whether it's in the, the locker room or at your pregame meal as you are getting ready to go out and hop on the buses and you can smell the, you know, the exhaust coming out. Those players want to make sure that uh, you've got your confidence to you. Um, you that's, that's a, that's a, that's a striking balance. And one yeah. of the things that both you and I had the pleasure and have the pleasure of doing is, being able to serve as a head coach long enough to come up with a library of experience to recognize mm-hmm. that, you know, anymore, uh, head coaches jobs, you're in like, you're on dog years. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that, that clock is running and the number of really good men who have been given the opportunity to lead don't have that uh, blessing to be able to have some X number of years experience. Usually, I mean, it's, Two years now and everybody's looking at third year, you better be doing something. Otherwise, it's a new flavor of the month. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I when, when folks have been asking me, I, I've been defining it as two and a half years. Right. So your first year, you're given some grace period in, in inheriting a program and changing it. The second year, there better be some sign of positive trajectory by early in that third year. Right. Early season, if there isn't a significant leap. Um, patience wanes and because of the financial investment in it and the expectations that come with that. And then quite frankly, as you've mentioned, as times are changing, right, the the way media and social media and messaging travels, it's much different. Um, But going back to just what you said a moment ago um, and the world of fake it till you make it, and that that really comes from the world of cognitive therapy where you can act your way into thinking just by simply doing, you can become. And there's a lot of merit to that. Yeah, and, and I think back to maybe your earlier point of maybe the the mastery of leadership, um, knowing when to do either, um, right. and and getting that right balance, and luckily having the time as you and I both have had to sort that out of when to apply. Right. Wow, does that ever help? And and it builds credibility, knowing that more often than not, right, the command influence of leadership, it better be where you're emulating and being what right looks like. Right. That mm-hmm. is the default. And I think my point was was maybe um, with enough credibility established and with enough trust established with your team, there are moments where acknowledging a weakness can actually propel you forward. Now, how often and when that leader gets to decide that. And so I think your point's really well taken as to what the baseline looks like and then when and if to ever go the other way. Well, you know what, as you just uh, spoke about the two and a half year plan, you know, we had a, a long experience of success the previous school that I was at. However, you know, some people wondered, well, he did this at the quote lower level. Can you can you yeah. do this in our conference? And so our first two years were a major uh, uh, rework. Uh, mm-hmm. My boss had hired me, said he wanted to play cowboy tough football. And I said, well, 
you know, that's just not a slogan you put on a T-shirt. And that's going <laughs> to changing it. It's like turning a whole yeah. big, big aircraft carrier around. And so our first two years were really tough. Yeah. Uh, and then the the start of year three, uh, we had a quarterback whose name is Josh Allen. Woo. And uh, I became a lot better head football coach. <laughs> you know, Josh was out there and we started to win. And he accelerated that, that process, uh, instilling confidence and being a playmaker. But what we did not do, Bronco, is we did not we did not change from you know our recruiting footprint of changing what type of linemen we're recruiting. We had a fullback in our offense. We were still four down and doing certain things on defense and in the kicking game. But you know, I smiled when you said that timeline because all of a sudden that was a year, yeah. and uh, and we had a special year, and it was during that time that. As you know, you coaches, you're either either getting hired or fired or whatever. And uh, I was fortunate we had a special year. And so we we worked a long term contract out and I was going to make sure that I this was my last coaching job. And uh, so I, I, I hearken back to that two and a half years yeah. because it was right about on that timeline. You know, it's an amazing thing. And, and I'll share a similar experience, but but there uh, the, the reality is, right, there are positions of disproportionate value. And the one that has the most value is the quarterback. Oh. And, 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 and wow, does that change? And so at the University of Virginia, just to, to maybe uh, um, to support your, your narrative, we were 2-10 and 10 our first year, um, make it back to postseason for Virginia the second year. Um, Bryce Perkins arrives. And Bryce Perkins, the next year, we win eight with two overtime losses, or it could have been 10. Yeah. Uh, and then we're in the Orange Bowl in the fourth year. And so that similar time frame, that similar window, even though all the cultural things and the schematic things and the ideologies were working at the same time and can't be diminished with the right player at quarterback, in addition to that, wow, does that give you a great chance for your program to, to gain traction and for then folks to see the vision of what you saw uh, and what and what and hopefully have enough success where you can then bring it to fruition as long as you'd like to, which um, as you've earned right a long term contract that not only benefits the state, it benefits the institution, but it benefits the players with consistency and consistency provides direction, which gives you your best chance right to, to have success. Well, you're you're on that point. And uh, what we have not been able to accomplish here, Bronco, in, and I've kind of scoured our program is, is, is to win our conference. Yeah. You know, yeah. we've, we've been close for knocking on the door, but I can remember uh, you and I sitting in one of our AFCA board meetings and, and BYU had, had, had gone independent yeah. and you had talked to me about the league and you knew the league really well, uh, but you mentioned to me, it's winnable. It's a winnable league. And so while we have now consistency now to, 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 to take that next step forward, you know, I've really challenged all our coaches, strength staffs, players to find what we're calling this two percent yes. uh, across the board to find this this added value on everything that we do, yeah. uh, because it's going to take something like that uh, for us to win the conference. But um, that gives us a real sense of encouragement and excitement, but also challenge. So, yeah, it's you know, it, it is it's really been phenomenal to be my neck, my 10th year here. 
I love the state and love my boss and the, the people here. Uh, but I think everybody's itching like I am. Let's yeah. let's kick down the door somehow. Well, and, and really, as as we all know, regardless of what um, what the expectations are as a leader, I, I love the term unbroken growth. You want to just keep seeing each year it getting better. And, and when something stalls, there's a great book called When Growth Stalls. There, there's a, um, an anxiety or a restlessness in a leader that kind of that happens. And sometimes that's measured by the two percent. And when you've been somewhere and had as much success as you've had, it, this isn't now reworking the entire thing. It, it's harder to actually rework the two percent or find the two oh, yeah. percent. Yes. Yeah. There's this whole program building, which is exhausting in and of itself. But then to find the difference within the small margins to become conference champion, that's a whole different type of work. And wow, is it gratifying but challenging. Yeah, and that's what we've been rolling up our sleeves. Uh, you know, what was helpful, Bronco, uh, and, I, and I, I keep on regressing back to the time that I was at Nebraska, but there was a period that uh, we went 60 and three. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Holy and I can remember one of the buses after we'd won a national championship and I started, it was, I sat next to Turner Gill and I was saying, Turner, we just, we just went 60 and three. And so, uh, the, the period while I was different at NDSU, uh, the last three years that we were there, we went 43 and two. Mm. And uh, so it, it can be accomplished. Uh, but one of the things about Coach Osborne that people saw was they thought was his his uh, greatest weakness uh, turned out to his greatest strength. He was never too high, never too low. Mm -hmm. He was always willing to scour through uh, something. And I can remember we had won a national championship and I was on defense and I walk in the room and he, and you know, we were finding all these great ideas that the Dallas Cowboys were doing or watching different tape on defense, which was good. And I walk in the offensive room and uh, coach Osborne's watching uh, army against Navy. <laughs> what are you doing coach? <laughs> and he's, he's just, I mean, he's enamored with army and Navy and watching the game and going through every play. And he goes, no, this is really, really impactful stuff. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, his last game, we played uh, Tennessee and uh, they had uh, Peyton Manning and all these great players. And we, we implemented some of those variations out of the flex bone. And he was, he was, uh, you know, I mean, brilliant. And so I was just, you know, that's what you're talking about. He found yeah. this, it was, it fit within the context of our program, yeah. but that was the extra 2%. You know, it's fun when you talk about coach Osborne, because they're like, when I, when I consider the best of college football, I consider a leader who's a great fit at an institution and within a state, literally where the head football coach seems to just be that state, his values, um, the methodologies, the style of play the team plays with. And, and I'm not sure, and, and there, I'm sure there are other examples. I would consider Lavelle Edwards at BYU uh, right. at similar, but mm -hmm. when you consider Coach Osborne, the University of Nebraska, uh, the state of Nebraska, Tom Osborne, that all seems like one thing to me, you know, and, and he was the face of all of that and the style of play. And, and I think who those kids wanted to become and to play at Nebraska, um, there's a magical thing that happens there. And when, when a coach, so Wyoming for 10 years, when, when a coach has enough success to stay in a place and he's aligned maybe by style of play and by personality where the people 
he resonates to them and vice versa. Uh, that's kind of the best of college football that I think where um, we don't see as much of that now with kind of the commercialization entertainment component um, and the movement of coaches around the country. But it was kind of a different era. But I I, I rec um, I recollect on that time period. Yeah. It just it's cool. Well, I, I've always said this, Bronco, that the, the football team needs to reflect the fabric of the people within the mm. state it's representing. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that drew me, if you look at the, the, the last three stops I had privileges to be at, whether at Nebraska or North Dakota or Wyoming, the makeup of the people uh, are very similar. Uh, they're yes. hardworking, uh, tremendous amount of resolve. They're resilient. Uh, they're plain spoken. Uh, and so uh, for me, there was only going to be a certain number of schools that that I felt like we had accomplished about all that we could under my leadership in, in, in DSU. And it gave Chris yep. Kleiman a chance to do something yep. uh, there who followed me, uh, you know, and they're still winning now. Um, but this opportunity here, they had recruited me when I was a kid in school, Bronco. Mm. And I always had a real appreciation for uh, people in Wyoming or family would vacation. We'd ride horses out here. And so I felt like the style of play that we would have, would, which I believed in, would resonate here. And yeah. uh, so it gives you an opportunity to, you know, I can just first remember when I, we got here that, you know, uh, I don't know, the first game we played, we had, we lined up in the I formation. We ran some play and everybody stood up and cheered. <laughs> like, it was like hard-nosed football. Yeah. You know, there, there's a, and I'm sure that you use some version of it. Uh, our selection and assessment or recruiting processes where, where I've been, we just called it fit first. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for players that not only fit with me specifically, but at that institution in that state and in that community, not just football players, right? Mm -hmm. That, that kind of becomes a mercenary ish approach. Um, mm -hmm. But man, if, if there is a coach who, who by personality fits with that state, who also runs as a style of play that fits, as you said, within the fabric of, of the people. And then when you add success to that, yeah. there, there's a transformative nature for uh, a part of the country that becomes really, really cool. And it's so gratifying to be the leader, especially when it's who you are, right? You're not having to pretend. And right. so you're, you're wanted and needed because of who you are at a place that values who you are. And that's, well, that's pretty fun. Yeah. We're on a case coaches. Like I said, you know, we're in, we operate in dog years. Uh, but uh, what we did Bronco, when we got here, we established what was called the Wyoming profile. Mm -hmm. Our whole coaching staff uh, had, uh, we all met and we went through all the attributes of the players that we were looking for. And then as we went out in the recruiting process, I'm not saying every player fit every one of those boxes, but, as we look through that prism to say, okay, is this guy going to work here? You know, he yeah. may be a good player, yeah. uh, but is he, is he going to, is he going to um, relish the idea of going out sometime in April and there's a blizzard and, yeah. uh, or we're playing uh, against our rival and there's a foot and a half of snow and it's zero degrees. Uh, Josh Allen embodied that, which is why he's fit so well at Buffalo. And so um, I think you and I are on the same lines here. Yeah. When, when you consider and and we've been talking about players, but I always like to ask uh, head coaches when they're selecting their staff members. And and so my guess is besides having trust already established with these men that you're hiring, 
Um, you're probably assessing fit at Wyoming or in Wyoming for them as well. I'd love to hear just about your process. And to, to me, while the people I had around me determined, mm-hmm. maybe not determined, influenced outcome at a really high level. So I'm just wondering about your approach as you're considering who, who else are in the offices around your building and, and what approach you've taken that way. Yeah, that's a great question. As you know, uh, a head coach, I mean, you're not out there running around coaching 22 guys. Uh, and the assistant coaches, uh, the leadership within your coordinators, um, what you're doing in the recruiting uh, office, um, all those things have a profound effect. And, you know, sometimes everybody thinks that you've got to have all these quaint little boxes as you make these, quote, targeted hires. Um and if there's a head coach out there that says I've never made a mistake in hiring, uh, they're they're being less than honest. Would be generous. Um, you're you're going to make some mistakes, and sometimes they're good people, and it just doesn't fit. Uh, but I think philosophically, uh, what's really been important for me is to Coach Osborne. When I keep on referencing him, but when they were talking about hiring somebody, he walked up the board and he goes, "This is how I look at." It. He goes, first thing I look at is the guy a good person." Uh, second thing I look at is intelligence. Uh, third thing I look at is his ability to communicate. And the fourth thing I look at is his uh, positional skills. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting because I had it completely reversed. Yeah. I was like, okay. Hey, you know, we're going to hire a defensive tackle coach. We want to get X, Y, Z. And he goes, no, 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 no. Uh, that, that's, not, that's not how I, how I perceive this and how I'm looking at that. And I'm not saying I've done that uh every time Bronco, but going through those four principles uh, are pretty important. And um, and as, as you know, too, the different levels that you coach at um, has an impact. And I'm not saying that price can be a discriminator, but it is when you're when you have a salary pool of sure. uh, uh, five million dollars compared to a salary pool of seven hundred thousand dollars doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to attract good coaches. But um, you know, your competency level goes up just like, you know, when you were operating in the ACC, your right. competency level, you need to be a great recruiter. You need to be a, a great EQ person. You need to be a, a great, you, you've got to have it all. Oh yeah. And so, uh, those, uh, pose challenges as well. And, and when you have the right staff, uh, I almost would equate it to this, um, when I was at NDSU, I had my own plane and I used to fly it around recruiting. And it did not have an autopilot, uh, but there's a, there's, it didn't. <laughs> but there was, you call it trimming. And once you set an airplane up right and trim it, it can almost fly by itself. And if you make these huge moves, the plane goes through these gyrations. Mm-hmm. Once you get that staff right, you get the culture right, then as a head coach, now you just, you're yep. fine tuning some of those things. Yes. Staff members are so important. But, you know, I, I love, uh, I love the idea of the trim tab or trimming and just what, and the subtle choices in going back to that 2% that you're working on those subtle things. Wow. Over time, one degree, you, you could end up in a completely different country over time, just by navigating one degree off your, your course from right. where you want to go. Um, it, it's interesting. If you think about the back end, and this is where I learned about maybe the staffing as being so important or with the player when something doesn't work well, and you're on the back end of of letting someone go or someone leaving your program and the anguish and the heartache and the pain. And just it's just hard. 
right? It's oh. hard on the back end and you get enough of those wrong, which I have. Um, wow, does it make you look really hard at the front end and really dig hard into that fit first. And if I could just share one quick story and maybe for our listeners, when I inherited and took over at BYU, um, I lost about a third of our team over the first year and a half of players that, that they didn't stay for whatever reason and they washed out and I lost some at Virginia as well. And it was driving me, I, I was really worried about it. And I was thinking about what, what do these players that we're leaving have in common? Is there something in common with those that are staying? And is there something in common with those that we're leaving? And I was trying to select and assess on that if I could find it. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, I, we, we, it, it ended up spitting out, our research spit out this thing that we just na- labeled the third thing. And so to be with me anyway, and my leadership style and programs, they, they had to be really good at their sport, certainly. They also had to be really strong academically uh, but that alone wasn't going to be enough. What we found is the third thing, if they then had a job in addition to that, if they were getting up for early morning seminary and catching public transportation and at 100 percent attendance, you know, over four years, uh, right. if they were an agricultural kid and they were up early, early before school or after, in addition to being really good at their sport and school, the third thing ended up being almost a perfect predictor of resiliency and young people not leaving uh, our program. And mm-hmm. I've always remembered that in terms of our parenting, uh, as well as trying to say, okay, with, especially with travel leagues now and parents hauling these kids all over the you know states away to play a game. Um, I like the idea of the young person financing the trip. Okay, what are they doing uh, to provide the gas money for the parents to take them? <laughs> you know, what are yeah. they doing? And, and, and th- so that ownership, and I don't know if that holds for every program, but going back to the fit part, after having and seeing players leave, that was difficult or coaches leave. And man, I, I was working hard on the front end to figure out what will predict that best as you were kind of saying the cowboy profile or the Wyoming profile, right. um, getting that right is really important. Yeah, it is. And then uh, what, what did occur though, Bronco, um, you know, our, the landscape has changed within yes. uh, college football, and and, yes. and some things are certainly positive. Is is when you were serving as a head football coach, I know we had a, a, a number of conversations about uh, a, a ability to transfer. Yeah. And first things started to where if you had if you had graduated from your institution. Uh, and another institution had a graduate program, the NCAA granted immediate eligibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there was much to say. A lot of coaches had differences of opinions on, okay, is this going to be the right uh, move to make by granting uh, the quote one-time transfer? Uh, and and that has changed some Bronco uh, because now maybe with that day when uh, a guy gets moved out from their left tackle from first team to second yeah. team. Yeah. Young person. Yeah. And you know what? He says, I just want to play. Yeah. Uh, and, and certainly, certainly, uh, you and I are both supportive in, on having young people to be able to achieve what they want to achieve. Uh, but to identify on the front end, uh, because we tell them here, you know what? This is not, this is, this game is not an easy game. And, and, when we when we work at it here, this is not an easy place. So just understand, we're not trying to de-recruit you, but we're giving you yeah. an accurate picture. And yeah. what 
what I found through the years is the players that ended up playing for us were the ones that really wanted to be there. Totally. And the ones, the ones that wanted the quick fix, you know what, when it got tough, uh, they were the ones that were going to go. So finally I just said the heck with trying to convince some uh, hotshot five-star recruit. Let, let's be real plain spoken about what we have. Yeah. But what has happened is, you know, young people can be really impressionable. And, and you now that, you know, they'll have their, they have the ability, and I'm not saying maybe their, their resources or their, quote, agents or whomever are talking to them, but they have some selfish interests that yeah. they start telling some young person who may not have a great, great context of where they're at, okay, well, let's just detour and go someplace else. Yeah. And so that resolve to work through some tough things, which is great about college football, sometimes never comes to fruition. Yeah, re really well said. And one of the challenges is when a head coach and a coaching staff and their messaging to a player is one thing and it's consistent and it's fair um, and it's um, in the player's best interest is what we think. And if maybe a third party or sometimes even at home, if that message is also consistent but different than – uh, mm -hmm. the coaching message, that young person is in between. And it, and wow, is that tough on them as, yeah. as as they're kind of in between. And it's really hard to sustain that. And so I think your approach of of how clear you are on the front end, not only lets the player know, but lets the, the family know. And right. if there's a third party that wants to pay attention, which they might or might not, um, they ought to know what that looks like. And that's I really best for everybody, I think. Well, there's no question about that, and and uh, that that's one of the redeeming uh, qualities about college football that you're taking young men from ages 18 to 22, or when you were at BYU, maybe a little bit older yep. than that, and uh, you know they're 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 not a man yet. Uh, they may have a body of a man, but emotionally, they're not a man yet. But by the time they finish and walk across the stage with a degree, you know they become a man, and and to have a, a part in that. And that's one of the things that is so great about uh, college football uh, that uh, that we've had the pleasure to, to serve. I do think that there's a little bit of a distilling of that mm -hmm. element there that I don't, I don't know if it's as strong uh, a supporting system as maybe what it was a couple of years ago. I can tell you just from the, the brief pause that I've taken um, from the world of college football, the thing by far that I miss most is being a part of the development of young people, yeah. helping them go from the 18 to 22 or at BYU. It could be even up to 25 if a redshirt year in mission, et cetera. They're still being developed, but being part of helping another person become who they mm -hmm. truly can become. And that's hard work, but it's great work. And college yeah. football, to me, that is the essence of what the game is even for. And it's what college athletics to me are. It's what it's even for. And and I think we sense the shift. And so just maybe as a last thought, um, your thoughts on on the challenges ahead for coaches like yourself and for others that are in in the head coach's seat as you navigate college football and knowing it's a great game and they're great young people. But as you said, things are changing. And and what do you see just for the game and, and going forward? Well, um, you know, with, without question, uh, players to have the ability to to garner some extra income with NIL, uh, there's there's great things that that provides. You know, some of these young men maybe the they they come from a background where um, 
you know, they have not had the benefits of a significant amount of financial support. You know, they have somebody at home that may not be able to make a rent payment and family may have to get moved out. You and I've lived that life. Yep. When you come in the office and as a head coach, you, you do everything in the world, open up a checkbook and write them a check. And you know that uh, that's a major violation. Well, now there, there's a mechanism for them to garner some some extra uh, finances for that. Uh, but what is uh, what is going to be so important, I think we have got to operate in the scholastic model, Bronco. The education is such an important uh, tool for us, and we have got to continue to highlight that. And, and I, in this fast-paced, changing landscape, uh, that, that still has to stay at the pinnacle of one of our pillars. And uh, unfortunately, you can get get masqueraded by all this talk uh, and, you know, um, some of the uh, uh, the finances that are being thrown around combined with the one-time transfer. Uh, you know, I, uh, what I have found is, okay, if, if we have a mechanism to reward the players who are, are achieving at a high level and doing the things we want to and there's funds that are there, great. But let, let's not get ourselves in a position where we're in a bidding war trying to go out and say, OK, we're going to we're going to secure this guy's uh, talent because we can offer X more thousand um, dollars. This is what I do know is that whole thing has changed, Bronco. It is changing at a, at a speed of light. But what is not changing, guys, is they are 18 to 22 year olds. Mm hmm. And that's been the same thing in my 40 years of coaching. And so we have got to understand we're dealing with young people and have to be able to understand who we are to be able to connect with them. That's a million dollar question. And yeah. I can tell you right now, if you sit in our, in our, those board of trustees meetings and things like that, it's just significantly different. Yeah. Re really appreciate the thought. And, and for our listeners, uh, uh, coach Bowl and I served on the AFCA um, board of trustees. I don't know for how many years it seems like forever, <laughs> but but with it within that, there's a lot of great conversations and dialogue mm. and really assessment that happens and problems that are seen coming that some we were able to head off and some we weren't. Um, right. And and I think wow, mm. the right leaders at the right time, especially now, um, are necessary uh, to be head coaches in college football. And and so just really thankful for your time today, your perspective, for the job you're doing at Wyoming, for the way you're doing it, right? Not only the outcome, but for the way you're doing it. And, and I appreciate it. So just, uh, I'll turn it back over to Brian to close us out, but Craig, thanks so much for joining us today. Always great to talk to you, Bronco. Thank you. Well, some terrific insight there uh, from from you, Coach Bowl. And I, I'm just kind of curious as we kind of get on this this journey uh, again, as as the season gets started up uh, again, how do you recharge during the season? Because because you're somebody who has a, a ton of energy. We see this come through this this conversation. How do you kind of recharge uh, given the grind of the season that uh, lasts a couple months? Well, I think a couple things are great anchors. Uh, family is really important. Um, and uh, my wife and I uh, have been able to uh, venture out, do many different things. We were talking earlier, just uh, investing in horses and and uh, some of our times that we have there. Um, and, and so that is really important. And then the other thing is, as you get older, you got to recognize, OK, the, the decisions that you're making as far as your lifestyle and things like that. Uh, you know, I, I, I 
I'm, I'm kind of like that Toby Key song. I'm not as good as my wife. Okay, when I got to hop up, I'm like that old rodeo horse. So, uh, I'm just finding time to to kind of capture some energy to where Bronco knows you get in the grind, you better be able to deliver. And so by doing that, to be able to get some artful time away to be able to escape is is really important. Well, you're at, you're at a great spot for, for, for escaping because uh, you, you got one of the best spots there in, in terms of uh, the settings for college football. And I uh, can't wait to, uh, to see how the season unfolds there for the Cowboys. For Craig Bowl, for Bronco Mendenhall, I am Brian Fisher. We'll catch you again on the next episode.